disappointed in myself because I planned to watch the second episode of the Santa Clauses so that we could talk about it, but I forgot. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah. They um, can just die on Disney plus a slow, painful death. I haven't watched the second one yet, but they watched the first one last night, so I watched it a second time, and it did not get better upon a second watch. In fact, yeah. I might have liked it even less the second time I watched it. It was real bad. I'll be honest, the, it, the, I, it has been, it's been two weeks or so. It's been a week since I watched that first episode, and the only thing that has hung around is something that I was like, that's a fun idea, fun bit, is why doesn't Mrs. Claus have a name? That's the only thing, like a first name. That's the only bit that I was like, oh, that's a fun little bit. That's when I said, when they purposely explored the fact, like the last Santa Claus, was he married? Did, was there, yeah. that is an interesting aspect that I am intrigued yeah. by, but that's, that's not where they're going to go. They're just going to keep the going with Angry Santa. That might be where the fun stories, you know, them figuring out where is the last, what happened to the last Santa? Did he actually die? Did I kill him? Or was this all some, you know, elaborate? Well, what, that, those are things I caught this on the second viewing where Mrs. Claus was questioning him a lot about, you know, did he have a wife, blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting there, has the mythology changed? Because there he disappeared. He never mm -hmm. saw who Santa was. He disappeared and it was just his clothing. But everyone's treating Santa as if he saw who the previous one was. Yeah. Like he doesn't they, know. That they yeah. had an extended conversation, but uh, he mostly just says, hang right he here. He was get gaslit you back to the whole ball. time until, nope, you're Santa now. Exactly. They just may put it up. But nobody's surprised when he shows up. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, That's true. In this case, they thought that he was dead and they were sad, but they were not sad for the last Santa. No, and that's why it's always been it's always been the theory that it was a planned it was a planned abduction of Scott Calvin because yep. he just fears none of the elves care. They all knew if you watch the movie, you watch the early parts of the movie, you will see elves in the opening title sequence running around his neighborhood. Look, so those like, elves they, are they, they targeted attack. They could easily pull off an assassination. Moving away from that, though, how's everybody doing? doing pretty well yeah yeah we're a few days post thanksgiving now mm -hmm. slowly coming back into the weird reality limbo that is december yeah i was talking yeah, about david that earlier I, it's you it's, and i josh were talking about this and then david and i talked about it this time of year just doesn't seem real because no. there's two weeks of work and then holidays and then kind of two weeks of work, but nobody's really actually working just because we know there's more holidays and nobody's yeah. working. So just give us the whole damn time off. The real dead, the real they dead period, you know, in my line of work, you don't get as many press releases. You don't get as many, you know, big events. I mean, there'll be big events, but they're all the same event. They're all just yeah. Christmas themed or holiday lights on events, you know, so you're not really getting anything new. It feels, you know, you could just copy and paste last year to this year and just move around the times and dates a little bit. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's a, and you know, we are coming off of Thanksgiving specifically since it's not a Thursday. I was just telling Garrett earlier, Fri Friday felt like Saturday. Saturday felt like Sunday. And I don't know where I am today. It just feels like a weird day. It feels like a lost day in here, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Yeah, it really does. I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know what to do with myself. You know, because <laughs> it be a is a good like, day to go to the movies if I didn't have a kid. Well, that's true. Hey, you know what? Soon enough, he'll be able to go with you. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking the most forward to is just yeah, all of us going together, teaching him to do the right thing at the theater. Unlike our experience for the movie we're talking about today, we'll get it's to that. Racing. We'll get to that. But I want to do a check in. Has anybody watched anything this week that oh, yeah. isn't what we're talking about? I watched, uh, yeah, for sure. You watched Rush Hour. Oh, boy. Yeah, I rewatched Rush Hour. Just does it hold up? Is it still funny? I know, Honestly. The movie's bad, but is it funny? Mostly. It's mostly still funny. I mean. Does Jackie Chan stunt hold up? Honestly, the part that doesn't hold, that holds up the least is Jackie Chan dropping the N-word. That's the kind of the weirdest part of the movie that, like. He does I'm that. I'm surprised that it worked in 98. <laughs> yeah. It's still kind of funny, but it's. I'm surprised it worked. Ninety. It is very. I'd say it is very much. It, it. The entire movie depends on the fact that it's Chris Rock or uh, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. If there was any other two actors, the movie would not work. I yeah. agree with that. That's um, why those movies are good. Is those Chris Tucker is. Chris Tucker's very funny though. I love his whole thing when he's on the phone with the kidnapper. And he's like, "What do you think you got, Chelsea Clinton?" And and love these band references, guy. The guy going, he goes, I want 50 million and 50. And I want 50 million and 20. And 50 and 10 million and 10. He goes, okay, 10 million and 10. You want any fives at that? Hilarious. It is. 
Yeah. He's and then Jackie scary. Chan, you know, he's a, he's whooping butt all through the movie. It's one of the few Jackie Chan American movies that mostly feels like a Jackie Chan Chinese movie. You know, they give it time. They give the action time to breathe. Jackie likes to do it all in one take if he can. And they give they they don't do it all the time, but they have at least a few extended sequences where you can tell they took they probably did like 100 takes of this one shot but for Jackie to get it right. But uh, yeah, I don't know. The funny thing is, it's a lot faster than I remember. As a kid, I remember being a longer movie, but it's just, it's just whipping through there. Yeah. You, just the first one, right? Just the first one. I didn't watch Rush Hour 2, which was always my favorite as a kid. Rush Hour has a 3.4 on Letterboxd. Yeah. Higher than I expected. The first one is funny. It's not a good movie, but it is a funny movie. The, top, the second one is bad. The most popular review is a four-star review that just says, Jackie Chan says the N-word. Mm. Yep. So that's what they got out of that. I watched a few things this week, a little bit all over the place. Some were good, some were bad. I revisited Avatar, finally. That's mm. the big one. You'll never seen it. Oh, David's never I seen I don't it. Know, if I didn't know that, I lost it somehow. I, didn't, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, well, I decided it was time <laughs> because I knew in the back of my head that I probably should rewatch it before the new one comes out. Mm. And then I had a weird hankering the other day. And I thought, ah, I better jump on it while it lasts. Got to do it while the momentum's like, hot. Exactly. I better do it while I actually want to. Oh, uh, yeah. Man, you know, I'll tell you what. I really wanted to like it more, but I still didn't. I still didn't mm. like it. And I was hoping I would. I was like, maybe a decade of internet hate and all that stuff has been kind of overblown. Right. Not really. It's kind of dull. It's very dull, actually. Mm. I thought the characters were really two-dimensional which is ironic for the 3D aspect of the movie. But I'm watching it at home, so there's no 3D here. But the characters, there's no depth to them, really. The story is, you know, every story's been done, but mm. stories can be done over and over again in new ways, and this mm. one just didn't really do it in a new way, I thought. And it was way, way too long. Way, way too long. And how long so, is it? Is it like two hours, 10 minutes, something like that? Two hours, 41 minutes. Oh, fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. I could see how that would be difficult without the visuals, because for me, the visuals are what made that movie what it was. I remember thinking, you know, the story in itself is Pocahontas, but the visuals, the, it was essentially the resurgence of 3D. It was, and it was good 3D. It was enveloped 3D. I felt surrounded and I felt in the world. And, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of 3D movies are just stuff that's coming at the face. This mm -hmm. one felt like everything that I was a part of it, but the story itself, standing alone, never felt strong enough and so i could see that being difficult to overcome while watching at home without the visual so then though you guys do intend to watch the second one i don't wanna you know how can having, we not is where i'm at i feel like yeah. we have to feel like we have having, to. having not seen the first one and i didn't see it for a long time mostly just though it didn't look interesting to me and it didn't and i maintained that for a while then when we when i joined this show i was like well there's no reason to watch avatar unless we do Avatar the series at this point. I'll just hold off and then I'll have a fresh take when we finally do the Avatar movie or movies. That date has yet to come. Yes, our We're... distaste of Avatar has kept us from that. Yeah. You know, and the wheel, thankfully, never put it on us back when the wheel was uh, alive and spinning. Yeah. So we never had to deal with it ever came up. But that is my, that's still kind of my goal. Is I intend to not really watch it because... I've gathered a lot about it over time. I, it appears to have, it appears to be sort of a very overt commentary on English slash American colonialism and, you know, the, the, the plight of the Native American and or the Native South American, Central America, wherever, the constant e exploitation of various societies, civil, civilizations for their resources. So that all sounds cool, but, you know, you, I don't know. I've never heard anybody spin it and tell it to me as, and it does the best job of it that anybody's ever done with that type of commentary. That's always, no one's ever said like, man, if you want a movie that really tells the good version of that story, Avatar. No Something, ever... I will say we've got a Patreon that you can join. When, oh yeah, uh, you it, With that, you can get access to different levels. One of them includes our Patreon and we have a fan, a friend of ours, Arch, big Avatar fan, and he is excited about it. He is one person who I know is genuinely super excited about and so there is people that exist and look forward to it. I think some of the other discussion that we talked about was, is this one going to be any different than the first one? Is it just going to be another version of humans invading this water world instead of humans invading this forest world? I think that is a concern that people have had based on 
it is things alone. Well, this one definitely seems to be if the first one, if the first one was really drawing on the commentary of, you know, the Native American people, this one definitely seems to be skewing towards Polynesia and, you know, the people of the people of New Zealand, Australia, Samoa, those types of, those types of civil, those types of uh, indigenous groups who've had their own issues. There's, there is very much the conversation that we have about what's been done to Native Americans here in the United States. They very much have that conversation or a similar conversation in New Zealand and Australia and what was done to the Native populations there. uh, It's really so funny to hear you specifically talk about that, knowing that you haven't seen them because you're totally right that I think that's the intention. But man, if you watch the movie, I don't think you'll come out with that being the goal. Exactly. Well, that's what I mean. Because I'm sitting here going, I mean, yeah, you're right. Everything you're saying is right. Didn't do it well. Yeah. And that's, we'll have, that's, to, we'll have to find a time because I, yeah, I would like David to see them because I, I ended up seeing two movies that are much projectors or a lot less sophisticated. One of them was pretty good. I saw Clerks 3, which is less sophisticated. Oh, yeah. The best line of dialogue that came out of that was, this will make you higher than Godzilla's asshole. So. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a pleasant bee experience. <laughs> tell that to Jay and Silent Bob, my friend. Tell that to Jay and Silent Bob. Um, I can only tell The other one me. I saw was She Said, and that is about the reporting on the Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. scandals that were going on, essentially, and kind of jump-starting the Me Too movement. And I really enjoyed it. Andrew, he and I talked about it. He said it was five-star mm-hmm. For him, I think that it was very similar to Spotlight, investigative journalism. You're kind of seeing some how the sausage is made, some of the effects. You get some good character stuff. But for me, I think the details were just too fresh that it just kind of came across as like a reporting on what happened in movie form rather than a documentary form. So it was really good. I think that you should see it, but it was not as good Spotlight. Interestingly, you know, so Garrett, with she said, that did make a little bit of a rounds on... Uh, the TikTok sphere, the TikTok commentary group, because there was a there was an article. I don't remember who wrote it. Probably The Hill or something. Was like, why are why are Oscar contenders failing at the box office? And they were specifically that. talking about she said, which underperformed even the industry expectations. And a lot of people were talking about, it and they're like, one point, like you said, is that this is so fresh. This is like a thing that happened within the last six years or five years. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's been longer. I don't remember, but. It all feels like we just lived through this, and that's a very short amount of time. That it, it's a two-point thing. It's a kind of a two-fold thing because it's not been long enough for people to have forgotten about this, and it's because it's so recent. A documentary would have been more informative because that would at least remove the element of creative license, which they have. They're going to have to take with a movie like that. So I don't know if that factored in as well. If it's okay, well. You know, what did what all have they had to change just to make this a movie, you know? Yeah, related to that topic, I want to say something about real quick that I've been thinking about. I saw, Andrew and I saw The Fablemans this week also, mm. and we both really liked it. But, you know, you mentioned that she said underperformed at the box office, and I get the, there's a story about why are Oscar stories, or why are Oscar movies doing that? I hadn't seen that. I'd like to look that up and read it. But I saw a similar notion about the Fablemans, and I'm seeing this discourse emerge that I don't love, and I'm wondering if you've seen it at all, David, where as more of, I say more, like legendary directors like Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino have said some things lately about Marvel movies that have really rubbed uh, superfans the wrong way, even though when you take a step back, they didn't really say anything that controversial. But I've noticed this discourse emerging where people seem to be pretty cynically rooting against the success of original films and they root for the success of superhero movies and sequels. I mean, a little bit, yes. I think there's also, there's a there's definitely a disconnect between a lot of these legendary directors, I think, and what is a Marvel movie? Because they throw around the term Marvel movie, and then you listen to what they describe sometimes. This was not necessarily the issue with Tarantino, but a lot of times I just describe a generic blockbuster. I think Marvel movie has become to be, like has come to be industry talk for generic blockbuster. Like Jurassic World Dominion is a Marvel movie because it's that big scale, large film. You know, what was another one? You know, somebody last year, Oh, it was the guy who directed Dune. No, Villanueva. no it was, so it was not him. It was somebody else was talking about, they said Dune was a Marvel movie. And I was like, well, no, it's not. But they were like, because of what it is, it's a big scale, epic, you know, epic thing. And they described no, no time to die the same way. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. 
So there's the discourse about Marvel movies and there's Marvel Studios specifically, right? I have seen a little bit of, yeah, there are some two friends that are like, haha, take that Tarantino or whatever, whoever it is, Scorsese, your movie underperformed. But there is a bit of a, we've talked about this before. Marvel Studios films, there's only three a year. Okay. In 2019, there were something like 800, 900 movies released. Three of them were Marvel Studios films, right? So for whatever reason, Studios' response to Marvel Studios' success, the other like Warner Brothers and Sony and Universal, their response, for whatever reason, has been to try to copy that and make a lot like big money, I think. And they have given up on the legendary status of directors and movie stars and just making adult alternative adult content for people. And I don't know why they've done, why they've kind of abandoned that notion, but that's kind of what's happened is that you don't get those movies anymore. But I don't know, I don't know why Marvel Studios being successful means, oh, we can't possibly green light a movie like, I don't know, Schindler's List. Like the Fablemans should be getting a ton of press. It's a Steven Spielberg film. That's how I feel. And that's what concerned me and bothered me is I don't understand why a Marvel movie being successful is reason to crap on a new Spielberg movie, which is definitely what I've been seeing. Yeah, there's no reason. From, it only got number five in the box office. <laughs> from a, the funny thing is deeply weird. The actual, the actual feud there is between Netflix and Steven Spielberg, I think, anyway. But the, the, the fans themselves should not be celebrating it. They should be questioning, I think, why... Because it's not Marvel Studios. I don't think it really, generally, it's Marvel Studios' fault that other studios have given up on trying to pro uh, try to program against them and have tried to copy them. Yeah. Like, put out some alternative programming. Yeah. They just don't. They would rather try to copy and create their own mega franchise that they can do over and over again. And that's what these directors are lamenting, is that Martin Scorsese can't get anything greenlit because all he has to offer are his style films and his style films have never made billions of dollars at the box office. Yeah. It's a, a weird Quentin time. Tarantino film, as popular as they are in America, aren't all, aren't, oh, I don't think are as successful overseas. Maybe not. You know what's super successful overseas? A movie that you can easily, that has a bunch of superheroes with their faces covered. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's just. But I would, but I don't understand the idea of fans rooting against the Fablemans or rooting against you know, what an insert movie does. Now, it's weird to me that the success of a movie is solely based on box office returns now. Because I'd yeah, pick the Fablemans over Wakanda Forever literally every day of the week. But that's not a... It, I don't know. There's too much There's too much team stuff, like my team, your team stuff going on in tribalism. every aspect of life. And it's very gross. And I don't know how... I don't know about it. Could talk about tribalism. Yeah, yeah, I could talk about it all day, but I will. Yeah, I will say that fandoms continue to concern the hell out of me, and I don't want anything to do with them. And that's why, you know, in my, I used, to, I didn't have it up there anymore. But when I first started my Letterbox account, that was like something I put in there was like caught somewhere between film bros and film snobs just trying to have fun. I don't want to be. I'm not one of those guys who's well. You know, you really need to watch the Palm Dior. Right, right, right. And I'm also, but I also, I'm not one of those guys. It's oh man, suck it. We won the box office this year. You know, it's just, I don't know why you can't find a way to enjoy both. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's not even, a, you know, both is even on my part, a bad way of putting it because I don't think they're both, you know, I don't yeah. think it's one or the other. I think you can find a way to enjoy each. But... Yeah. It's gross. People are sucking the fun out of art. I tell you. All right. Well, on that note, let's talk about the movie we were actually talking about this week. How about that? Because that'll be a much more fun conversation. Yeah. To see how Spielberg feels about this. I know, right? So this week we're talking about or Glass Onion, a Knives right Out there. mystery. I will say right now that our intention is to not give any significant spoilers away in this episode. So you should be able to listen to this or watch it. If you have not seen the movie yet, we will do our best to keep all the surprises intact. And then later, we will have a spoiler filled episode for you towards the end of the year once the movie is actually made available on Netflix. So that's the goal. We'll do our best. <laughs> we'll do our best. So yeah, well, this movie had a very short, as of this time, or as of this recording, it's only got a one-week limited engagement in a little over 600 theaters. So not a, not a lot of chances for people to see it, you know, being that it's only got one week. So 
we will wait for the Netflix release for that. Yes, which um, should be December, I think, 28th? I think 23rd. it's 23rd. I think it's 23rd. So you should be able to watch it for Christmas. A little bit of a Christmas Eve gift. Yes, it'll be nice. So Knives Out, so Glass Onion, find Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc back to solving a mystery. A little different one this time. He, along with a bunch of other connected, well-established people, are invited to a private island owned by billionaire Miles Braun. That's right. I was about to just say Edward Norton, but I couldn't remember his name. Where they are going to solve a murder mystery. That's the basic premise. We've got a brand new cast of characters, aside from Daniel Craig. Yeah, uh, and one other. Uh, he's the only one who, there's no one else. No. Was, so right? technically, Noah Siegel returns. He played Trooper Wagner in Knives Out 1. He returns as a character, but is a completely different guy. It's a completely oh, different funny. character. So it's not the same character, just the same actor. Yeah. So there's a lot of new cast members, a lot of fun cameos that we will not spoil as well, but the main cast is also great and full of well-known people. You got Dave Bautista, Leslie Adam Jr., Kate Hudson. Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn, a ton. So a lot of fun. Let's start with general reactions, I think. I'll go ahead and say that, well, yeah, I'm going to start because I get to tell my story of why my experience wasn't the best. So we've got to see this in the theater. And unfortunately, there were some teenagers in the theater who ruined a lot of the experience for me. Lots of talking and phone being out and taking pictures and stomping up and down the stairs and never being quiet, even after they were asked, you know, all that good stuff. So I was distracted a lot. And I do also want to say, because I feel like I have to, I do see the irony in watching a Netflix movie in a theater and it being ruined by the crowd. <laughs> yes. I am not, that irony is not lost on me. Yeah. Netflix is probably smirking if they were to listen to this and go, see, told you. But I maintain that the overall theater experience was still the right way to watch it because oh, yeah. there were a lot of great laugh moments. There were some, there was a moment where the, the, a, a chunk of the audience applauded. I don't know if y'all caught that, but there was a lot of good crowd reaction. So even though these three kids ruined my night, it was still worth it for the theater experience. I really I mean, liked the movie. I thought it was bigger than Knives Out in pretty much every way. This, the location, bigger. The characters even felt like bigger personalities. You know, in the first movie, it's a family. And in this one, it's more of a friend group. And they are all either wealthy or very powerful or extremely popular in some way. So they're different kinds of people. It's so much funnier. It's a lot funnier than the first one. And that's not, a, that's not to say the first one's not funny. This one just packs more jokes in, I think. Mm -hmm. And so in, just in general, really loved the movie. I thought it was really good. Spoiler-free general reaction. Okay, <laughs> David, why don't you go next? Yeah, no, I can't agree more. It was bigger and it was more, you know, it's so funny because the first one, okay, was always played as a theatrical release, small-ish budget, only $40 million. And yet it was very small and very closed and very like tight. Like you didn't really see a ton of the outside world. It was mostly at that one location. You got a little bit out into the town around where what Knives Out takes place, but not really out in the world. And this one, much bigger. You see a lot more of the universe, if you will, the world of this Knives Out, you know, this KOU, if you will. And you get a sense of the world. And so it's funny that the one that's for Netflix for home is all big and huge and open. And the one that was meant for theaters was small and, com and compact. And this one even has a bigger budget. And you can kind of see where a lot of it went in creating this really cool, enigmatic, uh, rich person with no inhibitions island. And the, yeah, the group comes together. It is very like death on the Nile in a sense. They all get on the yacht and they go out. And it's very, it's a group of friends as opposed to a family mystery. Like you said, Josh, and performances are very good. They're very funny. All of the characters, all the all of the actors totally, I think, feel like just totally nail it. Kate Hudson plays a fashion designer who's very bad at controlling what she thinks. And as is, you know, Dave Batista plays a, tw a Twitch streamer. And I'll save some of the, I, the jokes are too funny. So I won't, I won't give away exactly what he talks about in his Twitch streams, but you know. We all know some Twitch streamers, I think. Anyway, and then I would, the only one that I think, uh, Catherine Hahn plays a governor. 
Uh, and she's perfect in that. The only one I think that was kind of underserved a little bit might have been Leslie Odom Jr., who I think could have used a little bit more, a little bit more. You know, I think he did well with what he had, but I think he needed like a thing. Like, you know, what uh, they, they, you know, the other three really had a thing. And I think he needed something specific. Um, and then I tell you what, without giving anything away, Janelle Monet. Is that her? Is how you pronounce it? I didn't want to get that wrong, but I thought it might in this movie. I thought she was great. And then, of course, there's Ben Wall and I can't, I can't quite do it. So I'll avoid it. But Daniel Craig, I know he had to go back, get with his dialect coach to refine the voice. It's tough for me. If I want to be Ben Blomblock, you just have to like, sure shot several times like that. <laughs> um, and he nails it. He's so funny in this. I love all of his little replacement words to avoid cursing. They are all great without giving many of them away. I believe at one time he just goes, oh, Elvis, or something <laughs> like that. Hilarious. And yeah, I don't know. It just, it, well, he said, Josh, it was funnier, but. It wasn't funny out of place. It very much seemed to fit with these people because this group of people, there is a connection that holds them together. And I'll avoid saying exactly what it is, but it really allows the humor to play to that. And yeah, so I mean, oh, and for, for lack of a better word, the twist is great. I think the twist is great. The reveal of what's really going on, I was like, at first I was like, oh, is this okay? And then I was like, well, let me see how it plays out. And then I love how it played out. Everything about it was like, yeah, okay, cool, cool. Loved it. Yeah, I mean, first reaction, this is Zombieland and Zombieland double tap for me. Like the <laughs> movies are pitch perfect right next to each other. The things that this one does well are equal in my head to the first one because Knives Out is perfect, cozy, quiet, you know, very, a little bit tense. This one's not quite as tense. But it, it makes up for its lack of tension with a sense of, I don't know, I don't know, excitement, bigness. I don't know. I can't think of the right word, but it just felt bigger. Garrett? Yeah, I don't disagree with most of that. I think it was a lot of fun. I don't, I'm in the minority where I didn't love the mystery as much, but that doesn't take away anything because the whole ride itself was fun and is fun. And everybody is delivering a great performance. I think they had a, a couple of unnecessary characters in there that they could have given some similar, like more time to Leslie Odom Jr. for. But everybody does, again, hit a home run with what they're given and how they give it. And that's also key. And so the characters are bigger. Everything is bigger. The world is bigger. All of it is so much bigger. And it is such a funnier movie. It is not as tense. That first one had some moments where it was really tense and really kind of scary. For me, I felt it was just really good to see Benoit Blanc. I really look forward to him. I like how they interacted with the external world. You know, this movie takes place during pandemic times. And so that's yeah. referenced a few times throughout there. And to see how he kind of is in the world externally is a lot of fun to, and gives him some extra depth and some extra fun to his character and who we may or may not know. He's not quite as enigmatic this time. You know, we got to pull the curtain a little bit back. Yeah. 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 And yeah, for me, again, the thing that I just walked away was thinking I enjoyed the mystery, but I felt like I didn't solve it until there was one reveal. And then everything else was like, oh, yeah. Okay, I see that. I see that. I see that. I see that. And it didn't really surprise me. It made a lot of sense and I had no problems with it. It just wasn't that same kind of what that I had while watching the original one. And so the overall reveal, while just kind of left me feeling flat, everybody else has been like super into it. And so the thing that I love about these movies and that leaves me looking forward to it is the rewatch because you yes. hear everybody else's perspective and you pick up on these little things and you see different things. And so the rewatch a lot of times is better than the initial watch. So I'm really looking forward to the Netflix. Yeah. Again. I do think that the success of that first Knives Out was the fact that it didn't pin everything. It didn't pin the entire movie on a big reveal in the last 10 minutes. The great thing about that first Knives Out movie is that it tells you who's in trouble at the beginning of the movie. You know, you're and so by so over the course of the movie, you're not, you're kind of rooting against Benoit Blanc a little bit. You're like, oh, he's really cool and charming and he's doing the right thing. He's trying to find out who murdered this old man. But you're kind of rooting for Anna Darvis in that first movie to kind of get away with it, you know? And then the movie gives you enough information to make you feel better when you find out, oh, she didn't do it. Oh, great. You know what I mean? You feel better. But it doesn't pin everything on, oh, on this little thing. And this one doesn't do that either. It doesn't pin everything on a big reveal in the final three minutes you know four minutes of the movie what it does is it changes the it manages to change the 
what the stakes of the movie are midway through, which I think is a real, and that might work for you and it might not. So like just going in, if you're watching this, you're watching this review and you're going to watch the movie, just kind of be, have an open mind, be ready. Cause you may or may not like, you may be like Gary and be like, yeah, that didn't work for me, but the rest of the movie will carry you through. You may be like me and be like, okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. I don't know. Garrett, best Benoit Blanc impression. Uh, it's basically just foghorn like yeah, I was going to say, it's time. just foghorn. <laughs> Can't do it. I, too, too much pressure. Josh, I think Benoit that. Blanc. Give me a line from the movie and I'll say it. Hang That's on. how I roll better. So Nikki and I were laughing at the idea of having Rachel Weiss be in uh, a third Knives Out movie because that's Daniel Craig's wife, I believe, correct? And uh, Nikki thinks it should be a character that, that Benoit Blanc just absolutely hates, right? And I said, ideally, she's a rival detective who also get tired. And then Benoit Block would be like, you hired this sea hag to come over here and investigate your mystery? I'll do it for free. You know, or something like that. I uh, like the, you hired this sea hag. Right? That's a line I made up. It sounds like what he'd say. This. I Rain Johnson, if the... you need any kind of screenwriters, we have two here in our midst. It's I can smell the brimstone coming off of cloven hooves. These are just Ron Swanson lines. Yeah, I can't. I don't think I can do it, but I was just looking up a quote and I really enjoyed Nobody tried to kill you, vainglorious buffoon. Yeah. Nah, he's great. You know, Daniel Craig is such an interesting figure, I think, because he is getting a rare opportunity to reinvent himself with a new iconic character. Because I think Benoit Blanc could become an iconic character. And it's so hard, I think, for some people to get away from being a James Bond type person. So the fact that he played James Bond for so long and now in at this stage of his career is finding a new original franchise mm-hmm. to blow up in. And it's a completely different... Utmost respect to Daniel Craig. It's, He's a, completely, it's a completely different character. And it's, yes, Bond. completely different. He's so you know? suave and smart. And mysterious in and that's Bond. The, but also and like the key. Well, and that's the silly. key because you look at Daniel Radcliffe. We talked yeah. about this in our Weird Al review. The drastic difference that he had taken. But for me, I don't associate Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter. I associate him with Harry Potter. But I associate Daniel Radcliffe as a standalone actor. Because I have seen the trajectory of his career. I understand that he has done a lot of weird stuff. And like most people probably haven't seen that. But I think that's what you have to do. You look at people who have been James Bond and they continue to be the spy, the debonair, the leading man, the charmer, and you can't escape it. But he's going, nah, I'm going to go a different way and show you what I can do. Well, that's he's, what you have to do to reinvent. He's really been fortunate with this role because it is something that both needs somebody who can command that level of like authority because he has that. Like when Benoit Blanc is like being the smart guy, the detective, the figuring everything out, you really buy it. But also when he's kind of just being a little bit goofy, because he is just kind of a goofy dude who when he doesn't, you know, this is a very, it it is a very Sherlock trope, but like when he doesn't have a mystery going on, he's just sulking in his bathtub, you know, like we get, it's totally works. And Daniel Craig just pulls off a little bit of goof, you know, just the right way. I'll tell you this, Ryan Johnson knows how to write a detective rant and Daniel Craig knows how to deliver it because it's just so, like, anything that would be bad, he's just so compelling when he does it. And he, he, you know, if any, I think if another person was doing it, it wouldn't be as compelling. Anyway. Uh, I think it, uh, yeah, no, he is Blanc, and I don't think I could see anyone else doing it now already because he is such a different person in that role. I always like to tell people to check out Logan Lucky to see mm-hmm. Daniel Craig be really fun because he's, he's, if Blanc were dumb and, a criminal because <laughs> he's still got that weird Southern accent charm, but he's just a, I don't know. It's very funny. And it kind of flew under the radar when it came so, out. So I recommend Logan lucky too. Here's a little fun. Here's a little fun detail is that Ryan Johnson told Nerdist in 2020 that he briefly thought about, he considered what he had. I think he had to weigh whether or not it was funny enough to justify doing it. He considered Blanc having an inexplicably different accent in each movie, just as like, I don't know. just, you know, I, he didn't go beyond that. He just said, I thought about maybe he would have like a different accent in each movie with no reasoning. And but that would be very silly. I don't know if that it's kind of one of those things you go, is that going to be funny? Or if you were just going to go, this is stupid, you know, and you got to weigh that option sometimes. You're like, is it stupid enough to be funny or is it too stupid to be funny? You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's a line that he wrote extremely well in Glass Onion because some of the jokes are pretty ridiculous, mm. but I never felt like they crossed a line into, okay, this is too stupid, you know? Especially with, yeah, early on there's some pandemic jokes. Yeah. That were over the top, but funny. Yeah. Well, and they, you know, and the thing is, we all have such a collective trauma about the pandemic, and this is very much a pandemic movie. I don't want, and I don't mean to say that it was made during the pandemic features into the story a little bit, and and kind of pretty clever, cleverly in some ways. Yeah. But yeah, the we all have such a weird association with it now. Just the fact when she when the first person showed up and they were wearing a mask, I went, I, pandemic. Yeah. I had forgotten. I was very I've been nervous when I first realized that. I was like, oh no, <laughs> no, that's too real. But it was fine. It ended up being fine. I was like, it's one of the the few times I've seen the pandemic worked into a movie or a show that I was okay with. Yeah. Usually Um, they fumble it because it's still weird. Yes. And yeah, and it is, you know, and it's like we're all kind of, and like you think about it in the moment, I'm sitting around, I'm thinking, does this just date this movie? Is that, is that going to be part of the issue going forward? Is that, you know, in 2040, if you were to pick up Glass Onion because you heard that, you know, your dad really loved it or something, you watch and you go, Oh, what's going on with these masks? I forgot, you know. Yeah. You know, if we're, you know, God willing, we're all still alive then. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. I, I don't think so. I don't think that'll be a problem because of how they deal with it. But you're right. There are definitely some that, some different movies that won't make sense or hold up later down the line. But. Yeah. This one, I think, handled it well. And, you know, I think history will remind people that this was normal. Yeah, I do have a recommendation for everybody because you know I'm looking about looking up about the production. Ryan Johnson, obviously, there's a little bit of Hercule Poirot in here with the same, you know, the risk, the recurring detective with new cases. He said that he drew a lot from Agatha Christie's work, and but there was another movie, another who done it that honestly maybe you know guys recommendation for you here. It's a movie called The Last Sheila, and it's a Who Done It from 1973, written by Anthony Perkins and Stephen Sondheim. And I thought that was pretty interesting because I'm a fan of Stephen Sondheim, uh, his Broadway productions. I didn't realize that he had done very many film scripts. So that's uh, very interesting. It's starring Richard Benjamin, James Coburn, James Mason, and Ian McShane, as well as Raquel Welch. So movie from the 70s and loosely inspired this one. Ryan said that this one kind of all takes place on a yacht, but it is that sort of, you know, group of friends slash frenemies stuck together. And that was a big inspiration for the movie. So the last Sheila looking around. Okay, well. How do we want to handle the box office portion? Oh, let's, so yeah, let's do this. So up front, Netflix has not officially released numbers for any of their theatrical releases. They never released anything for Roma or Army of the Dead. However, box office analysts have done their best to give estimates for those movies. And the good folks over at Deadline and Anthony D'Alessandro they wrote an article that I'm just going to cite here. I'm going to read a little bit from on Knives Out's official performance. Box Office Mojo is reporting that in its opening weekend, it's opening three days, Knives Out managed to bring in $9.4 million, which is far and away the best that any Netflix release has done, from what we know. Over its five-day Thanksgiving stretch, Netflix's one-week sneak preview of Glass Onion and Knives Out story managed to outdo all the other adult counter-programming with an estimated 13.3 million over its five-day and projected 15 million by next Thursday, which will be the close of its one-week preview. So if it break, if it does manage to do that, it gets up to 15 million. It'll blow away pretty much anything else Netflix has ever put out. Red Notice, which they came out last year, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot, was pretty much their best. It had brought in about 1.5 million analysts say, and Army of the Dead brought in just over 1 million. Roma best estimates were that it brought in three million over the course of four weeks, but those were not four continuous weeks. It was like over and over again. If that nine point three three day holds up, that'll be the tenth best, the tenth best opening for a title in less than nine hundred theaters. This movie was only in six hundred thirty eight theaters across the United States, which is not a lot. So to do that well with that few theaters is really good, and it's, I really hope that it means that Netflix will release some official numbers. They might consider putting it back in theaters. Maybe we'll see. They did briefly have Roma in theaters while it was also on Netflix. The rest of this weekend is pretty, pretty grim. Pretty, um, pretty grim. 
Black Panther Wakanda Forever is projected to be the number one movie of the weekend that Knives Out, uh, Glass Onion came out with 40, 45 million, which was the top end of my estimate, thankfully. And then Disney's Strange World, which has had almost no real promotion that I've seen, brought in 11.9. It's going to, that is a, is a bomb. That movie had an, a budget of $180 million. And for whatever reason, Disney did not put any, put much effort into it. I don't know why, in terms of the promotion. So that's going to die a death and that's going to go to plus in about 45 days. And then everybody's going to have thoughts on it then. Stick that can down the road. Devotion, one of three movies starring Jonathan Majors that we we keep seeing, brought in 5.9 million. That's about the Korean War. And then the menu hung around in the top five spot with 5.2 mil. So that's your weekend that Glass Onion came out. Overall, a pretty, you know, like I think it's going to prove to be one of Netflix's most successful decisions, but it could have been better. They paid 400. You, so we've talked about knives out a lot on this show. One of those was a news thing we did back when this first announcement came out that Netflix had bought the rights to the sequels for Knives Out, and they paid like $400 million. $469 million. Good grief. Yeah, That's you got to question their business model because everybody has a Netflix account in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So you all have a Netflix account. So what are you they getting by not leaving a movie like that in the box office where they could make billions of dollars? Yeah. Or at least hundreds. And if maybe a billion, but hundreds. If anything, the fact that it, the fact that it has a chance to make $15 million in less than 700 theaters shows that there's an interest for this movie Way ahead of its Netflix release. Let us not forget how long the original Knives Out stayed in the box office and just continued to make money. Hand over fist, money after money. I mean, the rewatchability of it was so high that it just stayed in the box office, much like Top Gun Maverick. For sure. The first Knives Out made $311 million in the United States on a $40 million budget. Like, it was a runaway hit that no one expected to be a runaway hit. In 2019, still one of my favorite movies of that year. On the Netflix machine and it dies in the abyss yeah. of content. Yeah. It's really weird because I, you know, I don't see how, unless they decide to change their box office strategy, I don't see how Netflix doesn't lose money on Knives Out. Yeah. At $469 million and you intentionally cut off the money printer, I don't get it. Because you're not going to make up that money in subscriptions. Yeah, ever new subscribers you might get would be like you said it'd be very minimal because who in the, who doesn't have a Netflix account already or yeah. access to one? And they've been losing subscribers they've over the last two years yeah. since they made this purchase, or year and a half since they've made this purchase. They've been and losing. they're going to release it on DVD, video, 4K HD, and so people are going to get. I mean, they'll get money that way, maybe, but maybe I if mean, they do still, that. You know, well, I don't know why these why the streaming and the theater industry haven't figured out a way to coexist because I don't really see them as true competitors like they seem to present themselves. There right. is a world where they all live in harmony and everybody gets a lot of money and they just yeah. choose to not print the money. Now, here's another good reason to look up this deadline article. So the article, and maybe we'll put, we can put it in the show notes. I'll send it to you guys. But again, it's Anthony D'Alessandro. Look up his Knives Out opening weekend thing. He actually has some details, some rumors about how Glass, how Netflix struck a new deal with Glass Onion with theaters. So they've struck a deal with exhibit, the exhibitors here that apparently is better than what they normally get from the other studios. They're going to give, so Netflix offered AMC, Cinemark, and Regal 40% rent, 40% rental, which is normally major studios take 60 to 70%. The streamers, the yeah. so they're kicking in about four times the amount of money that the exhibitors would use on marketing. So it, Somehow this ends up being a better deal for the theaters, this particular movie. I don't know if that's gonna, that can be a plan they can have going forward. But like you said, maybe if Netflix, as, a, as still the stream king at this point, can find a way to coexist with exhibitors, cutting around the big studios, maybe they can figure something out. But as of now, it, it is just baffling to me. Why not just give this thing 45 days, you know, at, at the very least? Yeah. yeah. I mean, again... We live in a world of content overload, and I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with why certain Oscar-type movies aren't succeeding is because the marketing for those kinds of movies are usually a lot less than what you get for a Marvel-type movie in general because that also has so many different kinds of platforms. And movies are not in theaters as long as they used to be, and those types of movies would come out near the end of the year, but now we've got blockbusters coming out at the end of the year too, so those 
it's just impacting and people aren't going to see those anymore. And people just, I mean, for the streamers, you leave it in the theaters for 45 days. That's what a general run is anymore. So with that, just don't get it. Yeah. And, you know, so a red notice I talked about just a minute ago, brought in about 1.5 during its short theatrical run. And Netflix has said that's their most watched movie over the last year. It has hundreds and hundreds of hours of content. So maybe Glass Onion is lucky enough that it's so popular that it finds itself in that category, too, of it become once it hits Netflix, it becomes their new most watched show for a while. Or yes, mo most watched movie them. for a while. They don't get we'll money in unless we'll they see. get money for every time it's watched. That's what I don't get is, yeah, The Rock having the number one movie on Netflix ever made has meant nothing to anyone. Like, it, yeah. it comes, it's a meaningless title. Especially yeah. the way that they measure it, where it's, oh, Red Notice was watched for 460 billion minutes. No one knows what that means. That doesn't really, how many people watch the movie, you dumbasses? How many account, how many of your, how many of your 200 plus million accounts started Red Notice and finished Red Notice? And that's I know all I care about. That's an easy number Four to gain. people. That's an easy Four number people. because you can just put red notice on over and over again and in theory inflate the account. But there's got to be an algorithm that can sort that, right? I'm what because... I'm saying is maybe yeah. if Glass Onion can do really well on Netflix, in addition to this big run that it actually had in the theater, maybe the third Knives Out story will do, will, they'll actually put it in for a run. They'll, you know, three or four years from now, five years from now, whenever we get Knives Out 3, you know, the other shoe or whatever they call it, It'll, uh, it'll do really well. And maybe they'll put it in theaters. I've been saying that with every Netflix movie over the last few years. They should just, why don't they just finally do it? I know, but this does, this is slightly different because it is their biggest, you know, this is their biggest original movie ever. They put a lot. They've never paid this much for a movie. They've never made this much on a movie like Glass Onion. Instead of doing that, they're charging us more for passwords. Come on, Netflix. Yeah, that's true. Not. Hey, you know what? I really hope too. While we're at it, while we're transit, while as we transition to the letterbox game, I hope this movie gets some Oscar noms. I hope it gets like a best screenplay, like the first cool. knives out screenplay um, costumes. Yeah. I see all justice of that. for Daniel Craig. Give that man best actor. Yeah. Honestly, you know what? I think sneaky Janelle Monet. I think that's what I'm saying too. Janelle Monet, best supporting Monet. actress. I'll campaign for. I could see that. Okay, but you mentioned it, David, the letterbox game. Boys, I've seen it. Has anybody else seen it? I've not seen it, no. Okay. I looked at the well, first I Knives Out. Okay. I will, oh, what was that for content? The for first content. Knives Out is still sitting at a 4.0, which is, I think, what it had last year when we reviewed it as well. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure it's leveled out. Well, I've got some reviews from the letterbox community. I'm going to start with the best one. There's no stars, but Tetra. Calling it Glass Onion is such a coward's way to avoid calling it Chives Out. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. You, I hate that. <laughs> Everything else is just love and praise. Movies have the power to change the world. R.I.P. Agatha Christie. You would have loved Glass Onion. The biggest mystery. To, oh, I don't want to read that one. Never mind. I really hope Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig get to make 30 more of these. Yes. So, yes. Just rain down praise. Just movies do it. Just do change it the Craig. world is basically the message of the Fablemans. And I believe it with my whole heart. You know, do it till Ryan Johnson is in his 90s and Daniel Craig is 98 and he's just old Benoit Blanc going, Don't well, that. it okay. was a knife in the kitchen. Guys, Gosh, you go first. I always go first and cut you off. You go first. Okay. 11,000 reviews. 11,000, only 11,000 reviews so far. Interesting. Oh, no, that's wrong. I hit the wrong button. More than that. 3.8. That's a good guess. I'm going to say that it's sitting at, I'm going to guess that already right now, it's still sitting at a 4.1. Okay. Right now we have a 4.1 for Knives Out, a glass onion. A gla no, a glass onion and Knives Out story. Glass onion and Knives Out story. I got to say, love the title. Love the title. Lo and I'm going to love the letterbox title at the end of the year, I think, because that's what I'm taking home. We need to get a belt or a trophy or something. We do. I love that idea. I we I think we talked about that. We got a little money in our Patreon box. Maybe we we do. David sent it to me recently. So, I haven't touched I it. I did. I was like, I need to get this done or it's just going to continue to accumulate. Yeah. Take us out on letterbox. What do we give it? Oh, well, hang on. I need to put this. So I hit it on the head. You did. All right. going to add that to the direct hit category, that direct hit list I'm making. <laughs> Bonus points for direct. Well, I tell you what, so guys. I tell you what. 
this end of the year show, it's four weeks away, and I've got all kinds of fun stats about this year's so many sequels. Oh boy. The letterbox game. That's funny. No. I've got all kinds of fun little, you know, things that, you know, you guys don't think about. You guys are future thinkers, and I'm always looking at the past. So. Well, I don't know if that's good or not, but I don't know if that's healthy, but go on with it. I'm always looking, I'm always trying to, I'm always quantifying things. Anyway. You like to um, look at data, you like to interpret data. I do, I love data. I do too, so I understand what you're saying. I get it. I love it. These are going to be, so these will be fun. So think, my rating. Yeah, go ahead. Say it. Do it. I gave the first Knives Out five stars. This one is as good, if not better in some categories, so I'm also giving it five stars. Same. I'm a four and a half just because the mystery didn't hit with me, but it shouldn't stop in the movie. Gotta go see it. Oh, wait. Netflix won't let you go see it. Turn on your television and get some friends together. Hey, I do think you should watch it with people. You You know what? Does Netflix have that group watch feature still? I don't know. I think Disney added for it probably too. Plus added that you can group watch movies on Disney Plus, like with a microphone or whatever. But yeah, definitely, this is a movie that if you can get some friends over, crash on the couch, have it. I think it'd be a ton of movie to watch with a group of friends. When you got the family over for Christmas and you're sick of Christmas movies, turn this one on. No teens. No teens. No teens. Oh yeah, I see what you're saying. I was like, teens can watch this movie. But then I was like, oh, yeah, don't invite teens because no. they'll ruin it like they it's ruined mostly, it for me. It's mostly appropriate for kids. Yeah, it's fine for the most part. Okay, well, like we said earlier, we will have a spoiler-filled discussion of this show as a bonus episode later in the year, so look out for that. Otherwise, we are about to start So Many Santas is coming up next. Oh, yeah. So stay tuned for that. Find us online on all of our regular haunts. You can find links at sequels.com as well as the, our archive of all our past episodes for you to listen to. You can go back and dig up that Knives Out episode if you'd like and uh, subscribe to that Patreon account. Join our Discord so you can also talk about movies and shows and memes and news and whatever else you want to talk about with us in that group. We'll see you next time for So Many Santas 2022.